Hello and welcome to Unsafe Space with Carter and Carrie. I'm here with uh, Carter Laren, as usual. Hello, Carter. I'm I'm all I'm all good. How are you doing? Ready? Carrie? I'm good. Am I ready? Uh, I'm I'm are ready. You ready? Yeah. Okay, good. Sure. Well, we're excited because we're here today with Marie Buskey. It's pronounced Buskey, like Karki Buskey. Um, Marie is a um, well, she owns you own a yarn shop. Uh, Skeins Yarn, S-K-E-I-N-Z, Yarn. The N-Z is for New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. New Zealand, Skeins Yarn. You can find her online at Skeins, S-K-E-I-N-Z.com. She's also, she also runs the largest bespoke yarn event in New Zealand, which is called Knit August Nights. And we've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Uh, I let it fall through the cracks for a while. I'm really happy it's happening today. Welcome to Unsafe Space. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Now, would you say you're, are, do you dye yarn yourself? Are you a yarn dyer or? Uh, no, no. So I'm not, okay. um, I am part of a group. So Skeins is part of a group and Skeins itself is unusual because it is a business, it's a retail business, both online and bricks and mortar. And we are the direct to public Uh, retailer for actually a spinning mill uh, called Design Spun Limited and I've worked uh, as part of the mill for 14th yeah this is my 14th year so we're actually a yarn manufacturer and we became a uh, we've always had a small retail store but we went online in fact our 10-year anniversary is next week from going online Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So when I started there, I started uh, with patent development and uh, helping them in terms of manufacturing and new product development to take direct to retail because that's what my background had been. And I had moved to the region uh, with my husband uh, for his work and then helped them develop skeins.com. So skeins is my baby. I've worked on it right from the get-go. And then I loved it so much that my husband and I bought into the company uh, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago now. So, yeah, they can't get rid of me as easily as they they could have back back in the day. (laughs) And then when did you start Knit Knit August Nights? So Knit August Nights celebrated its 10-year anniversary August last year. So that sort of, um, the two were kind of happening concurrently at the same time. Uh, and meanwhile, I was also had two very small children as well. So, yeah, I, it seemed a bit crazy. But, you know, what they say, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. So, uh, that, so that's what we did. So Knit August Nights is interesting. Knit August Nights started out essentially as a way to get some knitters together, have some classes, maybe do a bit of shopping and and, and enjoy sort of a, sh- a small retreat, which yarnies and crafters have been doing for decades and decades. It's not a new concept. Um, mine is a little different because I hold mine in a bar um, and bar and hotels. Ah. So whereas a lot will go away to um, have it in sort of like a scout halls or retreats, I basically decided that the best social lubricant to bring people together was one that um, I helped people open up a little. So I uh, pulled them all together in a, a bar and a restaurant right on the ocean side next to where I live. And and it started with three dozen people in year one. And we now, last year, I think I had over 330 attend. Oh, so wow. Yeah, so it's not massive, like it's not like on US scales, but it is certainly something that it's something that I'm really proud of. It's something that I love, and it brings 
everybody together. Like it's so incredible the people that attend from all ages. Um, it's just it's it's just the one single focus is yarn and love of yarn crafts and knitting and the single passion. Everybody focused on this the single love and the single passion. And it's yeah, it's something that it's I really love and I'm proud of and I've just had to defer for two thousand twenty twenty. Oh no. It's a but that's okay. We'll be yeah. back next year. So you had some, uh, I guess one of the reasons Carrie, I know, was talking to you was that you've, mm-hmm. this COVID thing had some SJWs come out of the woodwork, but they've already been mm-hmm. kind of after you in the past. What, can oh, you yeah. talk about what, what's, uh, what was happening before this whole COVID thing with your relationship yeah. with the rat, more radical arm of the knitting community? I, you know, I'm someone from a social media point of view I came to social media quite late in the party so I got dragged to it um kicking and screaming 10 years ago when we created Skeins and I just I didn't have a Facebook profile I wasn't really you know just wasn't interested and so I just was really quite unaware about the entire social justice phenomenon and which you know sometimes I wish I could hark back to those days um (laughs) We all wish we were unaware of this. Yeah, it was a much nicer place. (laughs) But so from our perspective, um, we created um, Skeins, and as we grew and started to gather success, um, we then, like, it started for us the whole, that they existed, that we realised that they were out there, and it was in late 2018. And for us, it started with, uh, some of our customers and people within our local New Zealand community saying to us, are you going to uh, publish a diversity statement on your website? And I get all these inquiries and I was like, uh, what is this diversity statement you speak right, of? What do they want it to say? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, we accept everybody. Uh, as long as you pay for yarn, we're not going to, you know, um, that's, that's the only exclusion that we have is that it's not for free. You must purchase it. Um, so I, I didn't quite understand what, where they were going with it. I was a bit naive. And uh, so I was like, um, why? Why do we need a diversity statement? I mean, we've never uh, put a stake in the ground about who we, who we represent. There has only ever been one tenant and we it's yarn. So yeah. unless you have something against yarn, um, we're... I thought, <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Little did I know that that's not an acceptable answer, and no. so we got we were getting a lot of pressure, and and I had a lot of people that I was acquaintances um, with at the time through Knit August Nights, who were very entrenched in this ideology, and it was something that I, I, I just I had always battled with because I'm from a rural upbringing, I'm very pragmatic. I just I. I and they were saying to me, well, Marie, you know, you need to um, understand this and this is actually going on and you're not seeing this and you're a ye- leader in the community and you need to be leading and showing them that you're actually at the forefront of all of this. And so I, I listened because I didn't understand. I'm very much a believer that if I don't understand a concept, that I will actually look into it and dive into it and actually try and get a better understanding of what that concept is. So then that way, from that, I can make an informed decision for both either myself personally or the businesses that I represent and that I own. So I spent a lot of time speaking to people that I dealt with 
on a day-to-day basis um, through these businesses and they were very clear about things doing. So I said, okay, well, I'll start pulling something together. So I start pulling a statement together and, and I had people, trusted people that chipped in on it and it just still didn't sit well. I mean, from a Skane's perspective, I would speak to my colleagues and they were like, we don't understand why do we have to do this. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. They're telling us that we have to do it. I I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand why we have to do it. And we sort of dragged our heels. Like we wrote it. And so if anybody emailed us and said, have you got one? We'd say, oh, here it is. But we never actually <laughs> published it. Like We were like, okay, well, we've done it because you want one. But it, to me, that's meaningless. Like from our perspective, we'd always maintained that we would actions speak louder than words. So for us, having a statement that said we accept everybody and then apply a label to every single one of those factions, which of course since 2018, there's way more labels than what they were back then. Um, we actually look at we looked at our own business. We looked at who we employed. We looked at and we thought to ourselves, well, we tick so many of those boxes, but not for trying, just because it is, because we reflected the community that we live in. Why do we then need to sort of put it out yeah. there in the world that we do that? So we found that, you know, really tough. So then um, the Christmas period came through. And then, of course, in early 2019, you had Karen Templer, Kate Davies, Maria, the wonderful Maria. Um, it, and it just went insane. And we were sitting in New Zealand in the bottom half of the world looking at this insanity in the Northern Hemisphere going, damn, these bitches gone cray-cray. So like, Whoa, what's going on up there? This is insane, you know? And we would sit at work and go, did, you know, my colleague would say, did you read that on Instagram? And well, how, this, this, is, this is nuts. Why are people, why are they saying these things? And it, we just were quite stunned, really, really stunned. I'm going to interrupt you just to tell anybody who's maybe watching, who's not familiar with it, what she, what you're talking about, Marie. Um, We did a video on our channel on safe space where it was our dipping our toe into the SJW knitting Instagram wars. And that, that was called uh, SJW knitting circle from hell. And we also did an interview with Marie Tuscan, much like this one. If anybody wants to know, it's too much to cover in this video, but you can go yeah. get your background in one of those. And there's been other. Just look for SJW Knitting on on YouTube. You'll find other videos, too. But, yeah. yeah. So, so for, for anyone who's not aware, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, I think for Carter, too. I mean, that's when this turned into a knitting channel. Um, and <laughs> I, I, so, um... Carter, I'm going to send you a starter pack. It's okay. I I can uh, I can handle it. I understand. Um, in fact, we have uh, been remiss in our knitting duties. We need to have this. Is one of the reasons we need to do this show and have you on because uh, we're gonna lose the knitters if we don't talk about yarn. <laughs> and as you've already discovered, we're quite a feisty bunch. Uh, yeah. So where do we go? So then all that insanity happened with you know both in the UK and the US. So it wasn't just um, defined to one nation and what we started getting down here is we were starting to get uh again this whole diversity statement thing started cropping up again more emails and inquiries you haven't published your diversity statement have you um where is your diversity statement where do you stand on this what we don't know why do we need to stand 
on something that's happening half a world away. You know, I'm very much of the only thing that you can control is your own actions and our actions and responsibilities sit with the businesses and the customer, our business and the customers and the people that we, so why are you asking me to um, make a position about something that I'm not directly involved with, don't really know. And when, they, when they were saying, when they were yeah. asking you where you stand on this, they meant, where do you stand on, you're talking about the Instagram post with respect to visiting India? That's what they were asking for your stance on? Um, well, well, all sorts. I mean, I had people when things were happening with Kate Davis, what what are your, um, what's your stand on what um, has happened with Kate or what's your stand with what's happening with Karen Templer and then especially with Maria. And I was just, I mean, I didn't, I'm really sorry, Maria. I still don't, haven't met Maria, but I didn't know who Maria was. Right. I don't, Follow a lot How of dare you? I know. <laughs> How dare you not know who Maria is? <laughs> I do I'm now. I'm I did kidding. from January last year. I was like, who is this woman? I need to find out more about her because I had no idea who she was. Uh, you know, I, and you know what so they're really asking is like, are you in our cult or not? Exactly. That's not, that's not the way they phrase it, but it's like, are you joining our cult or are you a non-believer who we can now target, yeah. right? But Yeah, yeah. And so uh, then from there, I had a phone call from a uh, friend, friend uh, who is actually in her heart a really an incredible lady. I mean, she's very accomplished and um, someone that I still admire for so many reasons. And we shared um, as well our love for knitting and craft. We also shared some other things um, as well. And she contacted me after going, she's Australian, after going back to Australia. And she said, you know, she deeply, she was deeply moved by um, a lot of issues, particularly around racism. And in Australia, there are a number of issues, um, particularly with Indigenous racism. And it was something that really moved her. So she'd always had what I called sort of leanings in that social justice area anyway, but this really in, enlightened and she awoke in quite um, dramatically from that time. And so she contacted me and, and sort of felt that in my position, both with the event and the yarn store, that I should be somebody that should be working with her to lead these this ideology forward within our own community here in New Zealand. And that was something that really didn't sit well with me. And I said to her, well, that's look I can see some of the elements that you're talking about and there are things that you know blatantly blatant racism isn't right and all of these certain um, elements that are issues within any society that need to be understood and addressed and discussed but what I don't agree with was and I didn't agree with her is is that you know you also have to look at a society and a community within its whole and the way that you're going around and tackling this she was wanting to create training for allies so for people essentially to train them to actually be able to call out other people that they believe are um, being racist or not falling within the ideology to actually educate them to stop doing that. And I really had an issue with that because I know a whole bunch of people who I am involved with in our community who are really good people in their heart. I mean, I, I look at what's in here and what's in their core. And, you know, I'm not going to persecute somebody who, in the eyes of an SJW, is 
showing themselves as being a racist or a uh, someone who's persecuting someone because of religion or whatever the reason may be, um, because all they're doing is being who they are and they're reflecting the community and the environment and uh, the lifestyle, you know, how they've grown up. And all they're doing is being themselves. And then all of a sudden to be told by somebody in another faction that, oh, no, you're not allowed to do anything. Everything that you believe in, how you conduct yourself is wrong. Where do I have the right to do that? I don't have that right to do that. And you've got a a lot of really wonderful people. I mean, I and I was thinking about my event and I'm thinking, you know, what happens then if I have one of these incredible women at my event who is 70 or 80 something, who is passionate about yarn and so excited to be there and everything is really wonderful and they use the wrong pronoun and they get called out by one of these girls. They're not going to understand what's going on. Right. Or if they step in any of these trap, these traps yeah. that they lay, because for people who don't know, the Karen Templer um, uh, example, they made an example of her. Um, you know, her her great sin was posting a blog about how she was so excited to go to India because she'd wanted to. It was called the, My Year of Color. How she had wanted to go since she was a little kid, and now getting to go, getting this opportunity to go, felt like she had won a trip to Mars. And it was so otherworldly to her. That little statement in a long blog about how much she loved India, they said she was racist. So that's the kind of like, that's the um, the line. The line is really low of what you can say and what you can't. The, the bar is set very low so yeah. that anything they dictate as being racist, it doesn't matter if it's racist or not. It doesn't matter what's in your heart or not. They said it's racist, therefore... They expect you to uh, get with the program no matter what your intent was or what you meant by it. You know, you're not allowed to say you're not allowed to have another opinion. You're you've got to say, OK, I admit my sin, even though at the time I didn't realize it was a great sin. And now, you know, I'm on board with the program. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it, it's almost like they're looking for that needle in a haystack and anything that you write, anything that you publish. And once they found that needle, they then go around and start stabbing you with it until you sort of submit, yeah. submit, 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 submit. You know, it's it's really frustrating. So um, we had that sort of time and, and it was actually quite fearful. As a business, we got quite fearful. I became quite fearful. I was um, second guessing every single thing I was publishing, every single, single thing I was writing. Um because we didn't want to gather or the ire of, of this group. Then, well, and, but just to uh, be ne- clear, that's what this is about, right? This is about, yeah. it's not about it's being about racist. Fear. It's about power and it's about getting you to self-censor and to be and to walk on eggshells constantly and to have a radar that's hyper attuned to the rules of the group and whether you're included or excluded so that they can change the rules at any moment and you will fall in line because you're hyper aware of of what the rules are. It's really about control. It has nothing to do with whether they actually believe you thought the statement about, not you, but someone thought going to mm-hmm. Mars was a good analogy. Like that's not, they don't care about actual racism. They only care about the control and that's, that's intentional. Oh, I just it, want to clarify. It, and we didn't, you know, what I know now to what I didn't know then, you you just, you learn so much. So for us then the next nexus point came on March 15th and March 15th in New Zealand is 
um, a day that is there are two, two things that happened on that day and one it's at my birthday and two <laughs> and but it's also the day that uh, the Christchurch shooting happened where over 50 people lost their lives I mean a deeply deeply dark tragic day in our now history it's yeah. it was horrific and that day, um, unfortunately, in one of our online communities, we had someone post up some work that they had finished. So we have a group. Uh, at that stage, the group was about just over a thousand people. It wasn't particularly large, and it was a group of around a thousand people. And they and it's a group, it's a closed Facebook group where you post up your um, finished projects. So you po- and, and it's a really, I'm really proud of that group. It's such a lovely group. And they post up their finished projects. They offer advice to people on um, different things to do with knitting or if they can't find something, where to find it. Um, I don't limit it just to our business. I mean, I open it to anything. You can post anybody else's yarn, anything. I mean, for me, it's a, a space where crafters and knitters and crocheters can share a single love for it, for their craft. And in that group, someone had posted a project that they had just finished that um, they had knitted a doll and they were really proud of the doll plus a couple of other items and they posted a photograph up of that on the 15th of March in the morning and unfortunately one of those dolls was a gollywog, which is, sorry? What's that? A gollywog? Yeah, that's not a U.S. word. I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. It is a so, U.S. word as well, yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. yeah, but I don't want to explain. You go. You explain. So a gollywog is a doll that, uh, depending on which portion of history that you believe, but it's essentially a doll which is a black-faced doll, very similar. If you were Dutch, it looks like um, Black Pete in the Dutch uh, culture. Okay. It was actually created, I believe. Um, during uh, in Turkey is where the original origins of it come, but it also looks a little bit like the black and white minstrels um, in early 20th century US as well. So someone had and Noddy from the Noddy story. So in the, from a toy perspective, most of these patterns have been derived from um, the gollywogs and the Noddy stories. So someone had posted up this golly, and I, because it was my birthday, I wasn't actually at work that day, but I happened to be uh, somewhere and I scrolled and I saw this image come up and I saw it probably within 20 minutes of it being posted. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, they're going to go ape over this. So I whipped it down because I thought, no, it's my birthday. I don't want to tolerate any sort of, you know, carry on today. You know, I had things planned. And so I whipped it down and didn't really think anything more of it. But unfortunately, what then happened is someone had screenshotted that. And then the person, I didn't contact the person who had posted it. They saw it had been taken down. I thought, oh, so they put it back up again. And I hadn't been aware that they'd done that. And then the Tarrant shooting happened that afternoon. Mm. So everything in New Zealand just went crazy, absolutely crazy. And so we saw the second post go up. Um, One of my colleagues whipped it down again because we thought, no, we just can't. We don't want to leave ourselves open to anything that might upset people. And everybody in the nation was reeling, absolutely reeling at this event. We just, you know, it was really difficult. And unfortunately for us, it wasn't fast enough. And SJW had screenshotted it. 
And then the, the following day and the following days thereafter, um, Gollygate, as we call it at work, then unfolded. And it was a two-pronged problem. What Problem one is someone, they then posted it amongst other groups and started to call us out as a racist business because we allowed the sort of posting to go up. And usually I would be the one that would actually forefront all of this and say and calm everybody down and say, well, hold on, no, come on, give us a chance. We haven't done this or this is what's happened um, you, and try and be a voice of reason. But that was actually the day that I left the country for a two week break with my family. And for the first three or so days, I had very little Internet connectivity and I wasn't available by phone. So. All of this is unfolding. My colleagues were at, at, back here in New Zealand trying to piece all of this together. And, and it just like, as all these pylons do, they pull in everybody. They're going to other groups saying, Skeins is doing this. You need to go in and tell them what you think. And we're getting bombarded by emails and posts. And um, I was getting uh, my colleagues What's were getting... The- what was the goal? What did they say? Because their goal is not what they say it is. But I'm just curious. What did they say was the goal? Because you had already removed the post. So it's like, how can you? It's already been removed, right? Like, so what? Yeah. Was, what were they? What did they want from you? What did they say the, they wanted? The post really became particularly irrelevant. It wasn't about the post. It was about the fact that they, um, a lot of them were hurting after the shooting. Um, they saw the shooting as a directly uh, racial attack against Muslim people. And because we posted up something that they believed was racist, and bearing in mind that we didn't post it, it was in a closed private group, it was somebody else that posted it, um, they just basically decided that we were we needed to be educated, we needed to be told that this wasn't right. We'd already removed everything, and they were then saying, well, you don't have, the diversity statement came back up, you don't have a diversity statement, you are racist, you require re-education, um, your uh, behaviour is now becoming problematic. All of those words and phrases that we had never really seen or heard before were being thrown at us. We were given, um, I think there's a pyramid, a pyramid of racism or um, a racial pyramid with our behaviour at the bottom right through to extreme violence at the top. And we were told that we were right near at the top of a pyramid. <laughs> you, you, so you were at the I've violence point. Pyramid. Yeah. Yeah, that's like it, that's like when they call Maria Teskin Hitler. It's, it's yeah. like you just overplay your hand. It's like, no, you're not even down here at the bottom. We're moving you. You're a literal Nazi. <laughs> like, I carry. I yeah. think wasn't uh, didn't uh, what's her name? Uh, that that woman Harder or something? Didn't she? April Harder. April Harder. Didn't she say that we were basically violent Nazis because yes. we had <laughs> yeah, because she, we had uh, I don't know what she what do we do? I don't remember what we yeah. did. No, she just didn't. There like was some unconscious bias. She thought, yeah. Yeah, okay. and so she went straight to the top of the pyramid. Yeah, I've seen that pyramid. I know what you're talking about. Okay, so they yeah. get did that. Were they harassing your employees? Yeah, well, they were. Yeah, they were harassing. Um, they were harassing our our online and community. They were sending these emails into the team, and bearing in mind that I'm not necessarily the one receiving them. I'm supposed to be. I mean, up until that point, I had worked 
you know, because when you're self-employed, you and Carter could probably, I guess, appreciate this. When you're self-employed, there's no such thing as standard hours. So you work it's really crazy hours. Right. My husband and I are both self-employed. And so I really was needing this break. And it got to the point where I got it got so crazy that my husband had to lock my cell phone in a safe so I couldn't get near it to see what was going on. And uh, my colleagues who are in the most incredible group, I'm so blessed to work with this incredible group of people and they were just having to tolerate abuse online all these emails phone calls they're not trained to handle any of this they're not they're looking at this going why are these people doing and saying these things we just don't understand it so and then there were fights beginning to break out within the community I've got a lot of people that are really protective of me and the work that I do so some of them started saying to the SJWs well hey come on this is not on and why are you doing this in this community and this is not what we're about and can you stop doing it and so then some really nasty fights started happening there and then I was getting reports back of um, local customers who were trying to defend us saying hey you don't know what you're talking about you don't know Marie and you don't know the team and you don't know the staff and these are actually good people and um, and the, by this stage they're painting us as Nazis and racists and all of these of sorts of things right. and they're coming into the store I mean we had staff coming into our store crying because they'd had altercations with them online it was just awful really awful and by the time I got to uh, back into cell phone coverage in a place of internet, which was three days later, to be able to talk to my colleagues saying, "How is what's going on? Has it started dying down? They were just really at their wits end. You know, they'd had hundreds and hundreds of nasty messages. And that energy is... It's hurtful. So I managed to at least get a statement out to everybody there and saying, look, this has got to stop. I'm away. This is not fair with the team. I will address all of these concerns when I get back, which was enough to quell them. I held enough um, respect with them that they were like, okay, Marie's away. Let's wait until she gets back and then we will retable this discussion then so that bought some breathing space for my team so we did that and I arrived back to New Zealand um, at the end of the month and to a lot of uh, very long-winded emails from uh, concerned customers and we thought right we need to, to tackle this and I had a meeting with the team and the one thing we did do actually at that time is we consulted a, a PR person because it was that at that level that we thought okay this is beyond us and we're not seeing the wood for the trees here let's get an outside view and see what advice that they have and she the one piece of advice that she gave us which I hold really valuable is she said she went and had a look at the communities and the groups that were being particularly nasty um, online groups predominantly in Facebook and she came back to us and she said, you know, you need to actually start quantifying these voices. I've had a little bit of a look and it doesn't, whilst it appears that there are a lot of voices here, it's not maybe as many voices as you might think. So we started to do that. We actually started to look at individual profiles. We started to look and see who those voices were. Um, we started to actually quantify across multiple platforms where they were. And one of the things that we noticed is that one voice can actually yell very loudly across multiple platforms at multiple times. So 
whilst it may appear like a load of voices yelling at you, it in reality, in fact, is only one. Mm. So once we actually did that and realised that the number of people that were really being particularly vicious was actually a smaller group of people than initially expected, we thought, okay, this isn't actually a representative sample of our community. This is a small faction, Mm -hmm. a small radical faction of the community. And we need to now be really mindful of our overall community as a whole because they're staying predominantly silent through this because they are literally shit scared of saying anything in case they get piled on by one of these small voices. So once we actually got that perspective, that was a huge game changer because that showed us that no, actually, we are not. It's the wider community isn't representative of these SJWs. Yeah. The wider community are those ones that quietly support us at home, and they started quietly sending us messages of support. But they are just like us, terrified. It's isn't it funny that they they like you said they a very small amount or a portion of the community can be so loud across these multiple platforms and they not only claim to represent the knitting community, which they don't, no one elected them to represent the knitting community, um, but they also claim to represent uh, entire racial groups and Mm. gender and sexualities that they don't represent. It's like they do that in every facet. They try and because I think it's it's like um, it, it, it's almost like the ideology itself, the arguments that they make are not strong enough that they have to back it up by saying we speak on behalf of. Right. Yeah. We speak on behalf of people of color or we speak on behalf of women or we speak on behalf of gay people. We speak on behalf of the knitting community. <laughs> like. Which is, uh, how, how does that, how'd you get that position? I don't know. But yeah. you're right. I'm glad that I haven't heard of anyone quantifying accounts and trying to match them up. That's a really smart thing to do. Because of course they do. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. They're on Instagram. They go to Facebook, do the same thing. Were they it, actually absolutely. customers too? Or were they, because my, my suspicion is that a lot of these people weren't ever even customers. They just zoomed in. Uh, they swooped in to have an argument and, and left yep. and probably never bought anything from you. Yeah, uh, there were a portion that were customers, absolutely. Um, there are some even to this day that will, in other groups, very publicly say some quite nasty things and derogatory things about us. But boy, whenever their name pops up in our online store, I'll look at one of my colleagues and go, I so want to screenshot this <laughs> and post this and say, you know, you've said publicly you're never going to shop from us again and hello, here you are. Uh, no, and as time has gone on, they have said across 2019, we're not going, we're done with you, we're not going to shop with you um, for those that were, and we did, and we did see some leave. And you know what? That's fine. You know, this is a free market. Well, I'm hoping it's still a free market post COVID, yeah. but that's another story. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. uh, you know, sort of. <laughs> it's, it's not communism you know, yet. Yeah. Let's just put it that uh, way. <laughs> oh, that is such another conversation um <laughs> it's yeah so that was that was okay so we sort of got through it, it it took pretty much most of april to get through it we started removing our changing our focus from reacting to this group 
to protecting and making sure we looked after our existing community. So we needed to switch our focus. And it's a really hard thing to do to switch your focus when you're under attack. And uh, so that piece of advice was worth every penny we paid for it because it just allowed us to to actually look into who those voices were and to actually realise that it's the wider community that we need to be responsible for, not the small faction Mm -hmm. within it. So we did that, and then things sort of calmed down quite nicely until July, and then Nathan Taylor happened. So Nathan, who's a.k.a. Sockmetician, he created a poem. I know that you have discussed him here previously in the past, and he, I mean, his pile on made the others look tiny. I mean, it was just brutally horrific. And we felt that as a business, and me personally, incredibly deeply, because unlike uh, Karen or Kate or Maria, who we didn't know, Nathan is a friend both to our business and a personal friend of mine, because we'd done a yarn project collaboratively with him. I'd brought him to New Zealand on a tour. Um, he'd, He'd appeared at my event. We've become very close friends over a number of years. And to actually to know Nathan and to know the purity of this man and what's in his heart and what he represents and who he is, to have him literally within 48 hours be turned into, you know, knitting criminal number one within the eyes of social justice, for me was just so unbelievably wrong. And, and for I, writing for writing a poem about kindness. Yeah. That's why they, they did that. I mean... Yeah. I just throw that in for anyone who doesn't know what Omate thinking maybe he did. He wrote a poem about kindness and about getting over bullying in the knitting community. So, but the Nathan thing affected yeah. you because you had a previous relationship uh, with Nathan yeah. and your friends. And so how did it affect friends. your business? Uh, they, again, they just all started again. So we started to get the the same email, but it was the same voices, the same emails. What are you going to do about Nathan's problematic behaviour? I I don't control Nathan. Right. You know, and I don't think Nathan's done actually anything wrong. And are you going to come, my favourite was, is when are you coming out with a statement about the Nathan Taylor situation or the Sockmantician situation? Why do we need to make a statement? Right. There is no yeah. statement is required. You know, this is, they, they would, it's like creating an issue out of something that, you know, we believe that needn't happen. So we never, ever made a statement about where we're at with Nathan. We were like, no, we have a collaboration with our yarn. Um, personally, he's my friend. And so when it came to the event, uh, they were like, well, what are you going to do about, you know, are you going to make a statement around the event? It's like, mm, no. Are you going to put a diversity statement? There it goes again, that diversity statement. Are you going to put a diversity statement out for your event? And I refused to do that, but I did clarify. What I did do is I put out a code of conduct instead. And I wrote a very clear code of conduct of the level of behaviour that I expected at the event. And I put a lot of the things in there in terms of protecting all of these XYZ purple yellow zebra groups um, in there. Um, And then I threw a few of my own just for my own personal edification. But I did it primarily actually to protect myself because 
as they believed, the social justice elements that attended the event believed that I was doing that to protect the, those minorities that they believed required their protection, when really all I was doing was putting the code of conduct out to actually, if they'd stepped out of line and were creating issues at the event, because there were a whole bunch of people that felt threatened by them, of course, I yeah. then had the ability to say, well, actually, you're in the breach of the code of conduct, so you need to either take a chill pill, step it back, or, um, or do that. Now, the one thing I will say with all of this within New Zealand which is so different to, I think, a lot of the elements that you experience in the US and the UK, is with this whole social justice element here in this country, is we're a nation of 5 million people. The yarn community is an even smaller community than that. So one of the things that was different about our experience, and I know I've spoken to Nathan about this a lot, and he for him, what he felt really found most difficult in the UK is when he had those handfuls of people that he actually personally knew. Um, actually, though he thought they were good friends who then publicly would come out and say the most dreadful or dire things about him. Now, in terms of the people that have uh, attacked either Skeins or attacked me, I know almost every single one of them. Wow. And it changes the dynamic because it's a because smaller they, community. Is that is that the it's reason? A smaller community. Yeah. yeah, and and I and I'm very, um, I'm very prominent in the community in the sense that I go to a lot of the events. Um, people know who they who I am. So I either have a personal relationship with them. I either know these people. They could have some of them are former friends. They or they're people that I've come across. Um, in my professional day-to-day -day life in either the event or the yarn store. So there is not any anonymity amongst this group with me. And so that actually had quite a different, it puts a different perspective on it. So they, I think for in the early stages, they felt that they could talk to me and be very open to me about the ideology and the beliefs because we did actually have a personal relationship. Um but when they found that I didn't necessarily share that ideology, that's when things started getting a bit crunchy. And I know by the time we had, Nathan had his situation in July, I had the 10-year anniversary of Knit August Nights at the end of August. I mean, that should have been a time of celebration. This was, you know, a huge milestone for any small business or event to actually make it to 10 years right. um, and survive that long. Mm -hmm. uh, and here I was going into the event um, absolutely petrified that one of the people attending the event who I knew had very strong social justice ideologies were going to create issues amongst the, the wider community that were there. And how do I police that? I had to sit down with my volunteers and sort of say, look, you know, these are some of the issues that we might actually um, come up with. How do you, are you guys going to feel comfortable about this? What do you feel comfortable doing? What don't you feel comfortable doing? And it was just awful. Like it was for me, I, here I was trying to be really positive at the event and try and be happy and open and make sure that everybody who'd paid really good money to be there were having a great time. And the entire time I'm freaking terrified that one of these women was going to do something that because that they season. had they had caused a scene right yeah. like at a previous um there, with sock magician yeah one of them had a had confronted him angrily causing a scene um showing that they're perfectly willing to um in public some of them 
to to threaten you, to get in your face, to make a big disturbance. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I can't imagine what that feels like. The only thing in my favor that I felt that I had was that one of the things I'd learned over the years is that it's very, very easy to be brave behind a keyboard, but it's quite a different story when you're actually face to face with somebody. And I'm five, nearly five foot 11 and, you know, 120 kilos. So I'm, you know, I'm not exactly a shrinking violet. And they, fortunately, everybody played, you know, they there were, there were no incidences and I worked really hard to make sure that they weren't and it was great the event went off without well you know without a hitch on that respect and it was it was good and it was a huge relief for me but what I was definitely noticing is because I didn't come out um, against Nathan and there were a number of so many people there supporting that were supportive of Nathan uh, and they showed that they came and, and voiced that support to me, which was wonderful, that the social justice element that were attending the event, I could see that they were really quite uncomfortable, that they realised that they were in the minority at the event, not the majority. And mm. once the event actually ceased last year, what I've had since then is a number of them contact me, particularly through the end of this year and the uh, the th end of last year and the beginning of this year to say, unless you change your position on Nathan, we will be forced to withdraw from the event. Good riddance. Well, I mean, that's I just, the thing that made me laugh was, is you thought I was going to invite you back after you behaved last <laughs> year. <laughs> okay. Delusion is free. Uh and it was it's been really intriguing so for me now we, it, that, so that was 2019 uh 2020 coming into 2020 i sat down with the team and and my husband and i looked at the year we spent a lot of time reflecting um so for us just for people that don't know i'm in new zealand and in new zealand uh december january february are our summer holidays so for us, Christmas holidays are summer holidays. So we took uh, some time off in January and uh, often that is the time usually that as a family we travel because that's when I can take, it's a quiet time in my businesses, it's also a quiet time in my husband's business, so that's when we travel. And we took some time in January to travel with the family and I said to my husband at that time, you know, I think when I get back to work, one of the I've got a new mantra for this year and it's not to make decisions based out of fear. Good for because you. So, because so many of my decisions last year and our team, with the team and, our, and also ourselves and, you know, in his business and mine, they were made out of fear. They were made out of fear of retaliation. They were made out of fear of negative publicity. They were made out of fear of what these people might think. And that doesn't lead to positive decision making. Yeah. It doesn't lead to um, never. never ever. So that was yeah. one of the decisions that I made. And that the, the other thing, me, really quickly, is that it's, I just want to interject there is when you're a lot of times, especially small business owners, don't think like this because it, you know it's a struggle to be a, a business owner and you get mm. to ten years and it's a big deal and you've got a lot going on. Um, sometimes you forget that you know you may be under attack, but a mm. lot of your community they are looking to your leadership to like help them help shelter them from attack because they're afraid to yeah. say anything and they feel a lot more powerless than you do. And 
sometimes they're just looking to you to step up and say, hey, community, it's okay. It's these social justice crazies that are wrong. They're the bullies. You're welcome here. And we don't buy into that crap. And, you know, this is a this is a community that's not going to allow bullying. Um, no. So, but Speaking I think a lot of, of business it, owners forget like, they have that power. Yeah. Because hmm. you are a leader. What they were saying about you being a leader was true. It's just that what they wanted you to lead people towards was a flawed belief system. But yeah. you are a leader in, in being, you know, a business owner and having a profile on social media and... Yeah, I think Carter's right. When you show a community that you're going to operate without fear, like you help you help those people who are so afraid to see, you you offer an example of what one can behave like, right. you know, in the face of that kind of And they're going after you because right. precisely because <laughs> they know you have sway, right? They would go after yeah. you a little bit and then ignore you if you were just someone who couldn't uh, stand up right. to them, but they're going after you pretty vociferously because they know that you have influence. Um, I just yeah, want to make is, that point. That's all. And and this is where the whole COVID situation came in. So I mean, for, you know, every small business is different. There are no two. I mean, small businesses are the backbone of pretty much any um, civilization. If it, whether it be a small um, sole trader. Um, true to a family business and or to in our case a small to medium business enterprise so the skeins and the design spun business is around 30 people so I'm one of the shareholders of that business and I take my responsibility not only to the colleagues that I care about very much quite deeply but actually as the responsibility to ensure that that business is solvent and um, healthy and able to actually continue operating because there are 30 families that rely on my contribution to that business to ensure their livelihood. So that is something that I think if you're an employee and never been a business owner, is, if particularly if you have employees, is always on your mind because it's not only yourself that you're looking after, you're actually looking after those people as well. And it's something that I've always considered and my husband with the business and the people that we employ in that business as well. So it is a risk and a constant steering point that we always have is that it's not only it's much bigger than you it's always a much bigger thing so when this COVID lockdown has happened here in New Zealand um, there has been lots of now I mean what six weeks later you know what is essential what is non-essential what we had was a situation that after the first few days of lockdown it was incredibly rushed we literally went from being relatively free um, it, life is normal to within two days being completely completely locked down and, and when you say completely, just for any people watching from the, the States, you mean, and, and you were the first person to tell me this, I think, mm. New Zealand went a step further. They didn't just deem arbitrarily some businesses as non-essential and say you can't open your brick and mortar shops. They also said you cannot sell online. Yeah, no. So every single every single retail store closed. So it's actually easier for me to tell you what it was allowed to okay. open. Um, supermarkets were allowed to open. But small food providers were not. So, uh, so, so big, big chains only. are fine. Ch big yeah. chains were fine. Small small operators were not. Um, gas stations. 
they were they did actually then concede and allow convenience stores to open because they realised that there were a lot of areas that didn't have large chain supermarkets. New Zealand is a mixture. Of, we do have a lot of small provincial areas, so they did have to concede with that. Um, and pharmacies and obviously GP surgeries um, were allowed to remain open for the patients. And that was it. Everything else shut down. Not even online shopping. So no online shopping. No. Um, uh, food deliveries, nothing. So you had the supermarket, you had the pharmacy, you had the gas station, you had a convenience store. And then in the early stages, if we have a lot of uh, food delivery businesses here. So you buy like a food kit that comes with all your, um, like a meal kit for a week. Um, that's quite a popular in this part of the world. Those businesses were allowed to remain open delivering those meal kits. Ironically, well, I can understand why they've done it. Wineries were allowed to remain open. And when I say remain open, they were allowed to continue because it's right in harvest time here. Literally the middle of vintage is when the lockdown started. So they said to wineries, okay, you need to maintain and continue vintage. We understand that. So vintage was allowed to continue. And then any businesses supplying those. So if you were a, uh, we live in, so where I am here, we are horticulture and viticulture is our main primary uh, industries here. So we also have a large food, number of large food processing uh, plants. They were allowed to continue because obviously they're producing food to go back into the supermarket. So that's how, that was it. I mean, you just, everything else got locked down. One of the other elements within that, and all the, the criteria that they had in terms of what was an essential business was very broad. It was basically um, food, uh, essential uh, essential servicing to food, health, and I can't remember what the other one was. It was very, really broad. Can I, can I guess at, that government yeah. was considered essential? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. Can't not have the government. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, put it this way. There were a lot of bus drivers that had a lot of alone time in the early part of lockdown for public transport. Right. Because no one was allowed to, to move around except for workers, but most of those essential workers... Uh, yeah, don't get me started, Carter. Um, so we uh, how, how did they shut down... Hold on. How did they shut down internet shopping? Because to me, like, did they go after domain name servers and, like shut you down like what how do they shut down internet sales can you just describe that because that's pretty scary to me yeah so how they did it is they operated and then using their terminology a high trust model so what they did is they so they couldn't physically shut us down they expected us to either if we were taking orders saying that we wouldn't distribute them until we were allowed to do so or in our particular case for the first four days we just we were able to turn off the purchasing ability on our website so we just did that we just turned it off so people couldn't purchase anything uh, and the other thing they did is they created a phone line so then the policing was done by the community so oh. which, yeah so so that's so that's how they did it and we then went back across the first weekend of lockdown uh I, we have a business mentor who is uh someone with an industry uh very well known actually in the tech industry internationally and who happens to be a new zealander who has one of his homes 
literally right across the road from us here. And I was out walking my dog and he popped his head up. I didn't realize he was quarantining there. And we were allowed, we were allowed to leave the house, by the way, for um, small amounts of exercise, but only walking or cycling for a short distance for a short time from your home. So in our case, <laughs> we leave, we go three, take the dogs three a loop around the block and back and if you're seen walking anywhere the police will come up to you and say what are you doing I was you know anyway um and he suggested you know have we looked at uh our contacting the ministry of business enterprise and employment which were controlling what businesses were essential and what weren't Mm -hmm. to see whether or not we had a case on the basis of mental health because knitting and craft has been proven to be a treatment for uh, those conditions to relieve anxiety Uh, we supply prisons we supply hospitals we supply neonatal groups we supply people that work with mental health in the community um, all using knitting as a therapy we knew that particularly in the aged care sector that there were a lot of people particularly in aged care who were utterly terrified that they knew that they were at the most at risk group and that they were looking for things I mean we had the sector saying look are you able to supply us so we they can have something to do with their hands to take their mind off of COVID. And you can see by the mortality right. numbers that when it gets into an aged care facility, it has a devastating effect. So you can that fear is perfectly real and justified. So we contacted, I rang the ministry on that first Monday and I rang thinking, oh, I'll ask them, they'll either say yes or no, um, that we have a case or not. And I was going to ask them, how do I apply to become an essential business? That was my question. And I got through to somebody and I spoke to this chap and he was, he asked about what our business was, what we did, who we supplied. I said to him, we look after people in terms of mental health, under health an essential does that fall into the criteria and he said I just want to get some more information half an hour later he had covered off all the different aspects of the business that we have who we supply why we supply them how we go about supplying them are we able to supply them in a safe fashion um, contactless and all the rest of it and after about a 30-35 minute conversation he says to me no you fall into the criteria as an essential business and I said so this means that I can reopen my online store and start selling online. Yes. How okay. do I then, is no there a certificate? Like just, yeah. yeah, yes. And he said, no, we haven't, um, we haven't got that yet. We haven't set up an online registration. Um, all you need to do, this is my name. This is the time that I'd contacted. And if anybody contacts you, you, you can, they can verify through this conversation. And I said, okay, that's great. So we reopened our store. Nice. I'm sure I that went over that, well with your fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I And I it was funny because I, I rang my general manager. I rang him and I said to him, it's happened. You know, like, this is what they've said. This is the conversation. I logged with him, who I spoke to, and I said to him, right, well, I'm going to send out a newsletter and let people know. Um, we and before we and I said to him too. I said, well, hold on, let me also check with our warehouse chap to make sure he's happy to go back to work. I mean, he may not want to. Um, so I spoke to all our key people in um, in the business. I also contacted our career company and I said to them, look, are you happy to come 
and pick up. This is the procedure we have for contactless deliveries. Are you happy to do that? Um, we're not going to, because the belief that the government had you believe at that time was, is the reason they closed down online businesses is that they needed to leave distribution channels clear for emergency things like medicines and the like to get through to hospitals and such. By the way, that's such a stupid government idea because if anyone who's run a business knows, like, if I'm a distribution company, I want to remain at capacity all the time. Like, it, like yep. it's inefficient for me to, like, suddenly have fits and starts and, like, this stuff isn't going anymore. And, like, it's just a – it's a dumb idea to start with. Yep. But it's a separate so it's, like, it's like here in the States with the hospitals because they've banned all supposed non-essential surgeries or they've postponed them. They're laying off hospital workers now. Now they have hospitals that are empty. They, they're even laying off respiratory technicians, which you would think you would want to keep on staff. But because they've said, no, only the quote unquote essential, then then the businesses themselves, the supply chain, if you will, is suffering. Mm. It's it's ridiculous. It's crazy. And when I spoke to them, they were running at less than 30 percent capacity. They were desperate for our business because as she said <laughs> right. we're running empty trucks around the country I mean how much do you think you'll be doing and I said well I gave her an estimate and she said absolutely she said if you have if you've got permission we will pick up and collect and deliver from you and I said okay great so we uh, put out a newsletter and I braced myself uh, for the onslaught <laughs> and you know they don't disappoint they really don't yeah. disappoint and how dare you want to supply nursing homes with something to do? You, I could just imagine. But interestingly what, what did they say? enough, when it, interestingly enough, with social justice ideology, one of the things that I've noticed with social justice ideology is that they keep co-opting groups, and right to that they need to protect. So I think one of the latest groups within knitting lately has been um, in terms of people being fattest. You know, they'll actually have a crack at different um, designers because their patterns don't go up to um, to a certain size and it doesn't cover people of a certain size, right? So they're now um, having a crack. You know, they're now, they're now the protector of fat people. I'm a fat person. I don't need their freaking protection. I can look after myself. Thank you very much. But... <laughs> That's the latest group, but they they one of the the one big group that they always seem to forget is a you know the age group, the senior citizen group. You know, don't old people matter anymore? Oh, actually, no, they don't want to protect old people because old people, when they actually realise what they're about, would turn around and look at them and go, "Oh, for goodness sake, go and get a life." Um, so yeah, most old people are not that sympathetic to the whiny <laughs> social justice stuff. <laughs> they're like, you know, I lived through the depression. What are you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They've lived in the real world. What have you done? And so for that group there especially, you know, they are they're just not tolerant at all. So they yeah, so they anyway, they had a good old crack at me and so you have your SJW bingo, I think, with certain words and phrases. Yeah. We have our um, SJW list, and it was kind of like, oh, ding, ding, yes, they've commented. Oh, ding, ding, got an email from them. Oh, ding, ding, got an email. And then it'd be like, oh, hold on, such and such hasn't seen it. Oh, there she goes. She's right. Good to hear <laughs> You could play a game just waiting for each of your re repeat offenders to check in. Yeah, and it, and it was. And every now and then when we got a new voice, it was like, oh, newbie. Oh no, not struck them before. Okay, let's add them to the list. All right. Um, so they're was... they're pissed at you because you opened during the crisis. Let's just be clear. They're yes. they're angry that you're open. 
And it was so the terms that I was you that we was used were uh, allegedly got permission, allegedly got permission to open, and that upset me greatly because you're calling my integrity in, into question. There was no allegedly about it. Well, allegedly, of got course, permission. they would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one was oh they found a loophole. I saw that they accuse you of quote finding a loophole. I don't think that any of them understand what a loophole means, but that's a separate yeah. issue. Yeah. Uh, Which oh, funny you... enough for knitters. Uh, yeah. Knitting yeah. joke. Is that a, is a loophole uh, a knitting thing? Is it? I don't know. I just assume maybe that's crochet. Don't oh, you make a little loop? Loops. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, you make right. loops. <laughs> Uh, they and they had uh, so they found a loophole. What else did I get? It was oh well, if you're going to start sending selling hand knitting yarn, you'll be wanting to go to the garden centre or buy jigsaw puzzles next. So I, I guess my question now is what did they what did they do specifically other than send you nasty letters um, and emails, which is par for the course with them? Uh, did they do anything in particular to? try and hurt your business? Yeah, there, there was a, well, we've narrowed it down to a few. They, they went specific, straight back to the Ministry of Business, um, um, Ministry of Business Employment and Education, um, Innovation and Employment, and they complained about us. So they dobbed us in saying, we are trading and we shouldn't be trading. We're not an essential business. Why are you letting them trade? And then the Ministry contacted us and said and sent the most incredible email it was it was one of those it felt it felt like a Ronan Keating song you know you say something when you say nothing at all it was one of those sort of emails that there a was government nothing, email yeah there was nothing <laughs> definitive in the email whatsoever and the only thing in the email they asked us to stop doing was we had on our website that we have been granted permission by MB, which is the acronym MB, to continue to trade, and they said we needed to take all reference uh, to MB off our website. Okay, we can take yeah, that, that off and just say matter. we have permi we have permission to trade. So I did that immediately. That's that's the only thing they asked me to do in the um, in the email. You know why? Because the what they really care about is they what they want you what they want to say to you is please make these people stop bothering us. That's what they want. Yeah. And the email was just full of would, could, should, maybe. And by this time, by the time we received the email from them, which was a good week or so later, it was uh, they'd actually had to relax the criteria. So we're heading into we're in the middle of late autumn here now. So we we were heading we're heading into the winter months. So they had to they expanded the essential goods criteria to then also include warmth and products that provided warmth. And the exact examples that they had on their website was as i.e. blankets and or heaters. Um, we sell blankets at our store. We One of our shareholders is actually a blanket weaver, so we have a range of blankets. And, of course, with hand knitting yarn, um, you buy the components to make blankets. In fact, that's one of the most popular things that people knit with our yarns. And also, too, you're buying the components to knit warm clothing. Pro predominantly, most people knit for babies. Babies are the number one trigger um, for people to start knitting. So we looked at this and thought, oh, well, we've even got a stronger case now as an essential business because 
not only are we helping with mental health, but we're also providing services to help keep people warm. So we were quite comfortable in the fact that our case to be an essential business was really strong. And so we got this email from them and I replied outlining all of those aspects, breaking it all down, letting them know uh, where we sat where we believed and how we sat within that essential criteria and fired that back to them. Uh, and and that's when the volleys of emails started. And obviously the person sending the emails had either knew one of these people directly, bearing in mind this is New Zealand, okay? So, you know, everybody mm. knows somebody here. And it was quite clear that there was either a political agenda not to have businesses like ours open, or a personal agenda. Either way, neither of them, you know, you either set out a criteria and you stick to it, you, you don't want politics or personalities to get involved. So it's at that point that I kicked all this up to my um, managing director and colleague and said, fill your boots, Tiger, I'm just going to keep the website going and until we get the definitive, you need to turn everything off, I'm just gonna keep going. Because up until this point, they hadn't actually asked us to stop trading. It was lots of word salad going backwards and forwards. And then the late on Thursday before the Easter break, they came out on their website and clearly defined products that weren't essential. And hand knitting yarn was one of those products defined. Wow. Wait, that are not essential. That are non-essential. They Mm. then also came back and also defined products like they reiterated a lot of those small businesses like selling like bespoke butcheries and uh, like people supplying farmers markets and and vegetable suppliers, um, nutritional supplements. Um, Vegetable suppliers are non-essential? Yes, because they uh, unless you supply a supermarket, yeah, you're not allowed. You you theoretically weren't allowed. Where do they think food comes from? I don't understand. It's the small, it's the small farmers and the small uh, I see. Uh, businesses. I see. Yeah, you're not it's essential like, unless you have a nice, a good lobbyist. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, that's, and, that's, and that was exactly it because at the time, that literally the night that they defined that hand knitting yarn wasn't an essential item. Turf maintenance was the other thing that was on there. Turf maintenance. Right at the 11th hour, they withdrew turf maintenance because obviously the people that play golf um, hold quite a strong lobby and they wanted to make sure that their golf courses were maintained. Wait, tooth maintenance. <laughs> so turf maintenance tooth- is actually... Oh, turf. turf. I thought you meant toothbrushes and toothpaste. Oh. <laughs> oh. I thought maybe <laughs> Carrie thought you meant... Funnily enough, dentists... I mean, we've got friends who are dentists. Dentists still aren't allowed to do anything. It's, oh, yeah, dentists are not essential. No, but, dentists but, are not essential. But turf, but grass for golfing is essential. Yes. Yeah, and well, that's, that's, that's I guess that's what you would get well, from... Uh, so, you know, we talk about be... convergence. Like, the SJWs also do infiltrate government, too. I mean, it's not just businesses. Mm-hmm. And so you probably do have some allies. They probably do have some allies in your local government that are gunning for you, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, look, in this country, it's... <sighs> We have a quite leftward-leaning government in this country, so they, the SJW faction certainly do have a very sympathetic voice here in New Zealand, for sure, in the government. Yeah, That's without a doubt. When did they send, and maybe you're building up to this, um, when did they send a police officer to your warehouse? Oh, yeah. 
so I couldn't believe that. Um, so we had when we did the announcement on the Monday that we were allowed to sell. We uh, so what really fired them up is I sent out a newsletter, but also one of the um, we essentially only have two main media companies uh, in New Zealand, and one of those media com- uh, print media companies, one of those media companies contacted me um, wanting to do a story because they saw this as a good news story. They thought it was a great idea, uh, and they really wanted to to do something on it. So they came, they did an interview, and the following day that was published in uh, national. A national um, newspaper, which of course really set them off because how dare she contact the media and promote this? I didn't do mm. that but anyway. <laughs> uh, so that really how dare you run a business? How dare I run a business? Yeah, that certainly got their picker up, and they one of them rang and dobbed us in on the 105 dob line, dobbed us in for opening our business illegally and got a police officer sent round. So my poor chap who works in the warehouse got the fright of his life. He's working away and next thing you know, there's a rap, 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 rap on the corrugated iron sort of um, door and he's opening it and he's saying, and there's a policeman standing there saying, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I'm working. And... I spoke to the policeman, he he contacted me, he had a nice chat to him, then he rang me and I explained to him our permission and where we were at and what we were doing and he said, that's fine. He said, look, we just had a complaint come in and I said, did the complaint come in locally by any chance? And he said, oh no, it came in from elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't anyone locally in our region that complained, it was elsewhere so they complained to them so he was fine and he was wonderful actually the local policeman and I said to him look I'm quite concerned about my staff member he's working in this warehouse by himself because the permission meant that he needed to be there by himself he couldn't have anyone to help him Um, I'm actually worried about his security and he said no so am I no problem whatsoever I will add him to my my rounds and I will call in and check on him and make sure he's okay and he's safe and I said look I appreciate that you know, so, you know, that's the positive side of it. But it's one of the things that I think for me, one of the comments that really sat with me and really annoyed me was I had someone that came back and said, this may be, uh, you know, this may be legal, but is it ethical? Is it moral? <laughs> Who gets to decide that? Right. Right. It, it, right. Just, I, yeah, the whole, so where we're at now is we are now back trading again. We started trading again on Tuesday. So, uh, so our Tuesday this week and the country now is in level three. So there is um, online businesses now, most, for the most part have now reopened. So that has been a huge step forward from our point of view. And we are just really now madly trying to make sure that the focus from a COVID perspective in New Zealand, COVID is essentially eliminated. How do we then move forward um, and actually regrow our business and make sure that the people, that the community that do really need us are able to get the products that we have and are able to actually get the service that they require and the social justice group i mean just really leave us alone and mind you now that i've done this this will flee them up again for five yeah, minutes I, I don't think they're going to leave you alone but uh that, that's wishful thinking we we How, like you can send them our way we're used to it 
yeah. Actually, how long? You made how my long day would... once, Carrie. I saw on Instagram you had a crack at one of my um one of my top teners. Oh, uh, I did. Which one? Yeah, you did. It was wonderful. It was, I yeah, I was like, woohoo! Tiger have a crack. Have a crack at her too. Because <laughs> sometimes my dog gets in the fray when I get. Carter doesn't know this, but Carter, Tiger's one of the most banned, blocked doggies probably on Instagram. I've heard the rumors. <laughs> I've heard the rumors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just want to say I, it is lovely to talk to you in person finally. And I've just been enchanted by your accent, as Americans <laughs> often are, New Zealand accents. And I'm loving all these new phrases you're teaching me, like, have a crack at. Which never, I Actually, my here. favorite thing is I like that you say we're trading again because uh, people don't say that. Uh, but it's a it's a people in the U.S. don't say that. But it's a, an accurate description of what a business does. Um, mm. I like the terminology. How long yeah. was how long were things shut down in New Zealand? Like you guys were shut less time than other people. But how long were like a typical small business? How long were they just without any revenue? So as an online business, five weeks. Wow, five weeks. As a retail business, they're still closed. Oh, how many? And how many weeks has it been? Uh, we're now at the coming to the end of weeks. Week six. Wow. Okay. So, so I, mean, if I imagine this is going to be devastating, right? I mean. Yeah. So the big focus now is regrowing the economy. I mean, I. I'm someone that is, I've been self-employed for a really long time. And I think it's it's one of the things when you are self-employed that you, you have a tendency to look at governance and freedoms and planning and decision-making a little bit more differently than if you work in the public sector or if you work um, solely as an employee, because it all comes down to that level of responsibility. And so I'm yeah, someone agree. that has always been like the most important thing, the only thing that you can control, and this is what I've had to console myself with during this lockdown, is the only thing that I can control is my own actions. I can't control anything else. So I can't get upset, try and not get too upset about the things that are outside of my control. You know, Mary, this is why you're not, this is why the SJW ideology didn't win you over. Because you, if you're a person who believes in personal responsibility and that you can only control and fix yourself, then it, it, it's, it's not as easy for them to pull you into a belief system that's all about changing the, everyone else except for yourself. So I think when people try to ask, like, what's the difference between a personality type who knows who they are and stands up for themselves and doesn't kiss, bow and kiss the ring like you and a personality type that gives into the mob pressure and makes the demanded apology and then is controlled by them forever. I think that's a big difference in person personality is just deep down knowing what I can control is this, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it is really important, and I've looked at this, and we've, uh, so for us now, now that we've got some more freedoms, it's about, okay, um, now we have more control, how do, how do, so my focus very much in this last week is about regrowing our business, making sure that our business is has longevity, that it survives, that we, those 30 families that we look after and the yarn business as well looked after. The other business that my husband and I have is actually in the health sector. And, you know, you touched on it before. I mean, the health sector has been devastated by this. I mean, we have been completely closed down. Um, you know, we employ uh, three full-time staff, 
plus up to 18 casual staff that come and go um, on any given sort of basis. None of them have been working across this crisis. So, you know, we've, so now fortunately they've finally got, they actually got permission yesterday that, uh, so from next week, that business is is going to, to slowly start opening. And so for me, it's now the focus on the recovery. So how do we how do we recover? How do we recover within the constraints that we have? How do we move forward and go, okay, I can't change the way that the government has set things out, but the positives with this is that we've New Zealand hopefully is going to come out, brand New Zealand is hopefully internationally going to come out um, with some pretty positive kudos. But we need to make sure that we get the local economy up and running as well. Interestingly enough, I mean, the social justice element here in New Zealand have been really, really hard on um, not only the knitting community, but they've been very vocal, particularly from the environmental standpoint, with farmers, horticulture, agriculture and all of those sectors. I tell you what, you haven't heard an absolute peep out of them in the last six weeks because there is the reality now that as a primary industry nation that these people are required more than ever before. And so hopefully, you know, they are now finally going to start getting the recognition that they deserve. And um, and it's made me laugh. You know, they've had um, one of the things they've had is say lots of thank you to our essential workers and they'll they talk you know they're saying about the nurses or the doctors that are working at the coal front with COVID well actually for me those essential workers are those farmers those farmers who are out there because for them it's same shit different day I mean COVID hasn't changed anything for them they're still out there trying to make sure they're getting their crops and they're still out there trying to make sure that the, the the sheep are there being shorn or that there's meat or there's wool or there's all of those aspects nothing has changed for them they're still working just as hard as they've always worked and from our perspective leading an economy I mean we've tourism has been the number one industry in this country that is now gone yeah Mm. you know one thing the the left seems to um really a lot of a lot of people on the left seem to just have no clue what entire sections of the economy do they just dismiss things as if they just spring into existence magically and like oh our our food will just be here magically and these things will just happen and and they don't they dismiss uh the investment community necessary to help build businesses they dismiss the transportation industry they dismiss the fossil fuel industry that gets the transportation there they dismiss the agriculture the heavy industry that is necessary to build the combines like they dismiss just literally everything and they think that they can you know, they're, they can hang out and sip their Starbucks and play on their iPhone without any modern society. Would they just they, they feel like they can just, you know, delete some section of society because they don't like those people because they don't understand them and everything will function normally. And the truth is, in a modern society, everything is connected. I think everything is essential. I mean, mm-hmm. that farmer, for that farmer to do his job, he relies on modern tools nowadays. He's not, you know, this he's not using a hoe that he carved out of wood right he's yeah he's using modern tools and those modern tools all use plastics and metals and they require mining and they require transportation and they require and they require investment capital to build the machinery to make the tools and they, everything's connected to everything mm-hmm. uh it's just the, the idea that we're not interconnected is and we can just turn parts of the economy on and off and it won't have a massive effect is just uh ludicrous to me but 
Sorry for the rant. One of the no, sorry, one of the driving forces that I've sort of observed around social justice ideology is one of the things that it actually predisposes itself on, which I find personally quite ironic, is that it's an ideology driven out of privilege because you're dealing with people that are actually in privileged situations where they've never actually had to insert themselves into the lives of those that they're supposedly um, champion, championing. Yep. And they yep. just... And, and I just find that incredibly ironic because, you know, as you said, they 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 are really privileged. They they a lot of them work in public in the public sector. That's one of the things I've noticed here. They either work in the public sector or have very strong ties to the public sector or non-profit type organisations. They have a tendency never to have spent time holding that responsibility that you hold as a business owner. Right, and it's hard to hold that and still be social justice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, they've they've never had to hold those responsibilities. They've never had to hold those responsibilities of employing people, of paying taxes, you know, not only paying taxes in, in terms of uh, their PAYE, which is just your everyday income tax, but the taxes that we actually have to pay as a business or we have to pay on property mm. or all of those sorts of things that we do. And, I mean, we live in a very highly taxed our tax rates here in New Zealand are much higher than they are in the US. And we have a really um, interesting governance in the sense that our social, at the moment we do actually have what I would call a mid to far left um, government. We have a government that is made up of three parties. It's a um, unholy alliance of a co coalition. But what we do have is an incredibly gifted, charismatic leader. She's genuinely quite a gifted politician in the sense that she holds she's empathetic she's an incredible leader so the one thing that she's done and boy has she had a baptism by fire since she has been elected prime minister i mean uh the, the christchurch shooting the fakari white island eruption now we've got the covid um situation and her superpower is the fact that she's an effective leader of people is she an effective leader of government? And and it's what so for me, that's the dichotomy that I struggle with her because I actually believe she is incredibly gifted as an individual. But governance is more than just an individual. Governance is actually having a collective team of people that are working together in order to to run a country. And unfortunately, that collection is could be better. And I'm looking forward now at a recovery. And again, I have to keep telling myself I can only control the actions that I do because that's when the frustrations come in. And I think that's where we're at now. There is starting to be some frustrations within New Zealand. We've been actually, I think as a nation, incredibly compliant about the very stringent form of lockdown that we have had. Very, very compliant. Do but you think we're like getting... compliant in a bad way? Like, are you disappointed in the population for being compliant, or do you think it was good? Uh, it depends on what day. If you asked me yesterday, I was having a particularly bad day yesterday. I mean, yesterday, I think I said to my husband after a couple of glasses of wine, I was feeling particularly ranty. I think I said to him, I feel like I've woke, you know, gone to bed in a democracy, woken up in a dictatorship. So I was a bit crabby. But then today, <laughs> You know, You're not alone. Little, it's okay. No, uh, then today I feel a little bit more zen about it, and because I'm seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, and the numbers are becoming less, and there is, I see the logic 
behind um, why she made the decisions that she's made. And I've also got to remember when you're actually making decisions, whether it's in your own business or it's in governance, hindsight's always 2020. So you can't be too critical about decisions that she's made at the time because she's made those decisions based on the information she's had to hand. So there definitely has been a lot of Monday morning morning quarterbacking, as we would call it in the yeah, US, uh, and, going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's for me now. It's about making sure in a recovery is that you need to actually, regardless of partisan politics, you've got to make sure that you get the right people together to start a dialogue of ideas to ensure that everybody gets heard and not dismissed because of ideologies. And you actually look, take those ideas and from then you formulate a plan for a nation to actually move forward and recover. And I'm quietly hopeful that we will managed to do that. I mean, the partisan politics here is nothing like the partisan politics you have across there. You know, I mean, the, I, I mean, I personally, interpersonally, I'm not overly fond of Donald Trump, but, you know, like a broken clock, you know, it's right at least twice a day. And, and it worries me that <laughs> there are some really good ideas that may have been dismissed purely because they've come from him. And, you know, I've said to friends here who just will dismiss anything that he says. And it's like, well, actually, if that was actually, if that idea had come from the mouth of Barack Obama, would you then take that idea seriously? Just because it's become from the mouth of Donald Trump, you automatically dismiss it because it's Donald Trump. An idea actually doesn't have a race, a religion, or a person. An idea is an idea. It should be pure in its form. So we need to sort of cut away all of those um, preconceived ideas or notions around people and actually start looking at those ideas and start pulling those together and realise that the world is never going to be the same again, regardless of whether you're in New Zealand or the US or, or Africa or Europe. I mean, it is it is completely changed. So how do we rebuild ourselves? We've had the ultimate hard reset. How do we reboot and repopulate and, and put new ideas forward to be able to, to rebuild? Yeah. And but I think on both sides of the aisle, at least in the U.S., uh, it's really hard for people to separate Donald Trump from what he what the ideas are. Like if they're if you're a Trump fan, no matter what he says is the best thing ever. Yeah. And you can mm. dismiss any uh, gaffe that he makes as some brilliant 4D chess thing that he's doing intentionally. And if you're not a Donald Trump fan or if you have uh, what we refer to as Trump, Trump derangement syndrome, then he could literally say two plus two is four and the sky is blue. And, you know, people would say, Nazi, I can't believe you said that. And mm. So yeah. it's a horrible idea that two plus two. You is know four. who else believes the sky is blue? Nazis. Right. Yeah. Hitler thought the sky was blue. <laughs> he <laughs> used math. Yeah. That's what they would say. <laughs> it's exactly um, what they would say. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for giving us your time today, Marie. I'm happy we finally got to do this. And uh, before we go, I wanted to just plug your website again. Now that you're up and running, um, yeah. you ship internationally, right? We do ship internationally. We use DHL. So ironically, I can get things shipped to California faster than I can get them shipped to the bottom of New Zealand. So 
It's, yeah, it's, so we do ship. So it's skeins, S-K-E-I-N-Z dot com, or Z, Z as you call it over there, S-K-E-I-N-Z dot com. Uh, we're also on Facebook as well. I do, um, during lockdown, I do a, I've been doing a thing called the Quarantine Diaries on our Skeins uh, Facebook page every single day. Uh, I totally understand why you guys stopped doing um, daily broadcasts. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Every single day is really hard, um, but yeah, we're trying we get, to go for quality uh, over quantity. That was our. Yeah. That was our I am def- I committed to do it daily through level three and level four. Uh, so we've through level four. We're now hopefully only just got a little bit over a week to run on level three, and then I'll probably go back to twice a week after that, which will be more manageable. And yeah, but if you literally just put in Skeins, S-K-E-I-N-Z, you will find us. And then Mid-August Nights will be back in 2021. So if anyone feels like a knitting holiday in New Zealand, uh, Napier is beautiful. We're right by the ocean. We have the... May I say that I'm going to set that as a personal goal for myself because I've always wanted to visit New Zealand. And in fact getting the chance to go there would feel like winning a trip to Mars. So (laughs) (laughs) that's on my calendar. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for, you know, for having me as well. It's, um, it's quite nice to get things off your chest. Yes. Well, thank you for joining. We really appreciate it. And, um, good luck to you and to New Zealand. Yeah. No, I think, you know, we're a nation of doers. I'm I'm pretty confident that we will be okay. Nice. Well, you are lovely. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs>